Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. Praise God. In your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to the book of Jeremiah. We're studying the subject of redemption. Now, last week we made some statements and preached, uh, taught on some things that are of historical reference and also biblical reference. And one of the things we mentioned and talked about was a what we would call a twofold doctrine that came out of Europe about 400 years ago. And out of that twofold doctrine, uh, one man took it in one direction, another man took it in another direction. And out of those two doctrines, we have the majority of what we call Christian belief uh, in the world today. Now, let me just say this. Uh, it's, it's, the doctrines are not all wrong. But they're not all right either. And one of the problems that you have is a foundational problem. You know, when I was at Lakewood, uh, uh, Brother Osteen built a beautiful building there in 1987. And they had a Sunday school facility uh, off to the side there. And they wanted to build, they wanted to add a story onto this, this Sunday school facility. And uh, so he went to the architects and the architects came back and said, you can't do it. And he said, well, it's my building. I can do anything I want to. He said, no, you can't do it. And he said, well, why can't I do it? He said, the reason is, is when we laid the foundation, we laid the foundation for a two-story building, not a three-story building. Therefore, if you put another story on it, it's going to crack the foundation. Now, that shows us how important foundational truths are. Both, Both doctrines include salvation, through the name of Jesus. But, but actually, in uh, meditating and thinking about it, doing a little further study, basically both doctrines uh, manifest an unpresent God. You say, what do you mean by that? A God that's not present with us now. He's up in heaven waiting for us to get here. And He affords us a life in which if we live it out correctly, we'll somehow make it to heaven. Now, I know that some, some of the denominations that are parts of these doctrines also believe in salvation, but the foundation of how they believe salvation operates is wrong. You say, why? Because they believe it's not all-inclusive. Everybody say, all-inclusive. We say, how, how can you say that salvation is all-inclusive? Because the Bible says that for God so loved the world. That's all-inclusive. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's all-inclusive. Amen. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come into the knowledge of salvation. So it is all-inclusive. It's not what we call predestination. You say, well, I read a scripture over in Ephesians that talked about predestination. It is talking about those who have made the choice to be born again, how once you're born again, you have been predestined to be formed in the likeness of of His image. Amen? I mean, you're, you're predestined to be, a, to be a Christ on the earth, to be, a, to be a little Jesus running around on the earth, casting out devils, healing the sick, and doing the will of God. Literally, that's what it means. And so we, we determined yesterday, through, I mean last week through our study, that what we must do as a body, as a church, is not draw from the side of doctrine that talks about predestination and all that, or from the side that talks about works. We have to draw our revelation from the Pauline epistles, from the letters to the church, which reveal who we are, what we have, and what we can do in Christ. Not only that, it proclaims an ever-present God here with us now. Not in theory, 
Not just, well, you know, in theory, God, we know God loves us. In theory, we know God is here in theory. But as far, come on, Pastor, as far as Him actually being right here in this place, He is. You say, how can God be? Well, He's in you. And He's actually in you in two ways. You say, how is that? He's in you through salvation and He's on you through the new birth in the person and the power of the Holy Ghost. And then Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. So I'm telling you, you're filled up, wrapped up, and surrounded by God. And it's not a theological theory. It's a scriptural reality. Now let me say that again. It's not a theological theory. It's a scriptural reality. Christ in you, the hope or the expectancy of the glory of God. Now, the challenge of getting into the old covenant and teaching types and shadows is, I don't want to do it. You say, you don't want to do it? No, I've done it before. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to dig into some things in some scriptures in the old covenant this morning and show us this incredible plan that God took 4,000 years to unfold that culminated in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that, but His offering of blood upon the mercy seat in order to obtain eternal redemption for us. The culmination, literally, of redemption. First there was creation, then 4,000 years later there's redemption. You say, what do you mean by that? Creation was subject to fall, redemption will never fall. Amen? Both of them affect every person's life that will ever live on the planet. You say, well, what about people, you know, Pastor, you're going to Africa and maybe there's tribes over in Africa that don't know God. Well, that's why we're going. That's why we're raising up those Bible schools over there. That's why Brother Egan has been there for 40 years. It's to reach the unreached, to touch the untouched, to love the unloved, and to do it not with human benevolence, but with the power, the love, and the life of God Almighty. Amen. Amen. It is our commission and it is our responsibility to go to the world and touch them and reach them with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jeremiah, did I tell you what chapter? Chapter uh, 31. Now, before we read the scripture, let's just, and I hate to do it like this, but, you know, for, for sake of time, we'll do it because I'm kind of, you know, gearing toward the incarnation when I get back and teaching on, uh, on God manifesting in the flesh. So we have, to do, we have to talk about some things in the Old Covenant. Number one, we understand that Adam sinned. Adam and the woman sinned. In Noah, God destroyed the earth, but He preserved a family in the ark. Everybody say, in the ark. Out of that came the fountainhead of humanity for the second time through the three sons of Noah. Now, don't get ever caught up in any teaching that brings any curses on the three sons of Noah. You say, why? Well, one reason is is because people try to use it to curse certain types of people, and the Bible says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse. Amen. Thirdly, we see a man named Abram. Everybody say Abraham. And Abram literally was a man who dared to get in a blood covenant with God. The culmination of his communication, his fellowship, his relationship, and his covenant, the culmination of that took place in Genesis chapter 22 when a man on earth took his only son upon Mount Moriah and raised a knife over him willing to give his only son on behalf of redemption. When that man did that, that released God to begin the process. Everybody say the process. 
of raising up a family. Everybody say, raising up a family. Out of Isaac came the fountainhead of Israel. You know, we call him the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Out of Isaac came Jacob. Out of Jacob came 12 sons. Out of 12 sons came a nation. Out of a nation came a priesthood. Out of a priesthood came access. You say, what do you mean by access? Look, church, I'm going to tell you something. We're so spoiled and we so take for granted our access. You say, what do you mean by that? At any moment, you can drop to your knees and say, in the name of Jesus, and you're literally accessing the God of the universe. They, did, they could not do that for 4,000 years. A priesthood was established in the nation of Israel that through that priesthood and through a bleeding sacrifice, there was access to God. Now what was amazing about that is there were men alive on the planet that I see in the Word of God stepped over dispensational lines and enjoyed fellowship with God on a New Testament basis. The main one is David. I mean, you ought to go do a study of David. David the shepherd boy, David the young boy that killed the giant, and King David. He was a very unusual and unique man in his day. He fellowshiped with God on a level that nobody in his generation fellowshiped with God on. I mean, he was the sweet psalmist of Israel. He wrote psalms. He heard the word of God. He heard prophetic things. He was the Messianic, one of the Messianic prophets of God. Literally, his psalms revealed all that would go on in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll look at some of that today. And we must understand it is through his kingly reign that God found the family that he wanted. I don't know all the particulars of why he liked David the way he did. But he said this about him. He said, in David, I found a man after my own heart. And it was through the lineage of David that a virgin conceived and bore a son and called his name Jesus. Amen? Now, we looked last week at the dilemma of the old covenant, which was what? Access. We saw in Job where he says, there's no umpire. There's no man to put his hand upon God and place his hand upon me. Over in, where was it? Over in Isaiah, we saw that there was no intercessor. Uh, there was no one to stand in between uh, an unrighteous uh, human family and a righteous God. Now, with that one thing in mind, let me say this. Because the Lord, all this, you've got to understand, I've taught this subject for 30-something years. So I've got 10,000 things running in my mind. When you study the Old Covenant and you come to the conclusion that, man, God is He's tough. He's mean. I mean, I mean, there was a story. The, the, the presence of God resided in a, in a literally in a, in a box, which was built. And there were things in that box. There was Aaron's rod that budded. There was a, there was a canister of manna in there. Uh, there was the, uh, the, what was left of the stone uh, writings that, that Moses got up on the mountain. And in that box was the Shekinah glory of Almighty God. That box was called the Ark of the Covenant. And it was put in Solomon's temple when they dedicated the temple. But David was bringing it back. It was at a man named Obed-Eden's house. And David was bringing it back after the Philistines had captured it. And the Philistines tried to bring it into the temple of their gods. And their gods kept falling flat on their face. And they got all kinds of sickness and disease. And they said, you better get this thing out of here. And so they put it on a cart, a, a new cart with a calf. And that calf took it over back into Israel where it belonged. And it ended up in a man named Obed-Eden's uh, house or his place. Now listen, when David was bringing it back to Jerusalem... 
He had, he had a great idea. He thought, I'm going to build a new card. I'm going to have all this fanfare. And as that thing kind of faltered in a, in a rut in the road, a man reached up to steady the ark. Now, what kind of sin would that be? Minister of helps. Don't want the ark to fall in the mud. Come on, church. And immediately he was struck dead. Which shows us that in that dispensation... The unrighteousness of man that abide on the inside, that abides on the inside of man, that unrighteousness could not touch a holy God. And everything we see in the old covenant is permissive. You say, what do you mean by that? Every time Israel would draw nigh unto God, he would draw nigh unto them. Every time he would pull away from God, then what would happen is the enemy would come in and do everything he could do to try and destroy the Jewish people. He's still doing it today. Satan hates Israel. Satan hates the Jewish people. He did everything from the beginning and several times in the history of the Old Covenant it would come down to one person. How many remember Esther? Mordecai said to Esther, for this reason, for this cause, God has brought you into the kingdom. And because of her intercession with the king, Israel was spared and the, and the lineage continued. Now, when God spoke in Genesis that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. That terminology means take his authority away. Satan at that time was the god of this world. He knew he had to create in this world and world system demonic, how can I say this? Demonic nations hell-bent on ruling this world and destroying the nation of Israel. I mean, we see it from the Egyptians to the Babylonians to the Assyrians to all of the different nations that have ever tried to destroy Israel all the way up into modern times uh, back in World War II in the 40s when, when Adolf Hitler tried it. Amen? And out of it, God always preserved a lineage. A remnant is what the Bible calls it. And out of that remnant, that nation, the Bible says that a nation would be born in a day. That literally took place in 1948 when Israel was born in one day as a nation. Now, all of those big, this, this, this will help you. All of these huge, mighty nations with their huge armies, and many of them were world rulers, the Roman Empire, the Greeks, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians. I mean, you just name them. And they would rule the world. And they'd deal with an iron fist. And they'd go in and just destroy everything and take all the wealth back to their nations. The reason that was happening during that old covenant is God, excuse me, is the enemy saw God as a God that would raise up a great nation and destroy Satan with it. Therefore, the enemy did everything he could do to suppress Israel and keep it down. Because just as the disciples thought, isn't Jesus here to restore the kingdom to us so we can get busy taking over the world as God intends us to do? God manifested His answer in the person of a little baby born in a manger and hid it from every nation of the world that ever tried to destroy the lineage and the blessing of God. Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. 
Verse 31, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand, to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke. Although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Now notice this. Everybody say, after those days. I will put my law in their inward parts and write in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no, no, they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, say, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Now, that covenant that's being talked about in this scripture is the covenant we have today. Oh, you ought to get excited about that. Now let me say that again. That covenant in this scripture is the covenant that we have today. We do not live under, now, now listen to this terminology. We, don't, we do not live under a covenant of atonement. We live in a covenant of redemption. The old covenant in which na the nation of Israel lived under was a covenant of atonement. We talked about those that had access. Three types of people had access to God. The prophet, the priest, and the king. Mainly the priest through the bleeding sacrifice of bulls, lambs, and goats would come and make sacrifice to God and God would speak and give direction. Many times through the prophets, sometimes through the priest, and through the king if the king would live for God. But their sin was never eradicated. Their sin was never remitted. Their sin was only covered or atoned for. And the reason for that is, is that the sin nature still abode inside the hearts of men and women, even though they had a covenant with God. You say, what do you mean by that? Moses wasn't born again. David wasn't born again. Isaiah wasn't born again. Elijah. Look at, the, look at the miracles that Elijah did. Oh man, if I could just have power like Elijah. If you could stand face to face with Elijah right now, he would, you, and you said to him, I wish I could walk in your power. He'd look at you and say, I wish I could walk in your power. You say, well, I don't do signs and wonders like he did. Why not? <laughs> you know, why not? That same spirit that just visited him has found a place of habitation in you. You've got to develop it. You've got to walk in it. You've got to discover it. You've got to understand it by the light of the Word of God. Therefore, you must look at since the Passover was initiated in Egypt. Now, isn't that an unusual thing? That the most spiritual event to ever happen in the nation of Israel did not take place in Israel. Amen? You say, what do you mean by that? The most spiritual event to ever happen in Israel took place in Egypt. In which Egypt 
which held Israel as slaves was judged by God and on that last night as they put the blood on the doorpost and the death angel passed over Israel and they were brought out of Egypt, they still celebrate that to this day. The Passover. Everybody say the Passover. Their most spir- Your most spiritual experience is not going to happen in heaven. Everybody's kind of going, oh no. You mean this is it? No, no, you may have some experiences that are going to be mind-blowing. But your most spiritual experience happens the day you get born again. Now, the difference between the Old Covenant, we'll put the Old Covenant over here, we'll put the New Covenant over here. The Old Covenant is every year the sins of a nation had to be atoned for. And if you lived righteously according to the law, when you died, you did not go to heaven. See, most people right there go, what? No, you did not go to heaven. You went to a place called Abraham's bosom in the heart of the earth. In the heart of the earth, in Abraham's bosom, you were preserved. Now over here in our covenant, when you die, you go straight to heaven. Now as they would go into the heart of the earth, they went to the heart of the earth because the debt of their sin had not been paid. And they knew that. You have to look at the Old Covenant as a credit card. Amen? A big old credit card said the bank of God. And so every year, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies, not with, uh, with, the, with the blood of bulls and goats, and they would put that credit card on there, and they would atone for the sins of the nation. But when Jesus died on the cross, now listen, you got to get this, He paid for all of the sin of the Old Covenant. But not only that, in the new covenant, he left a deposit of redemption. Which is not the forgiveness of sin that they enjoyed in this covenant. It is the remission of sin that we enjoy in this covenant. Amen? Now, you got to understand some things about that. You say, well, what do you mean? Under this covenant, they were still subject to the desires of of fallen humanity. That's why David got in such trouble with Bathsheba. You say, why? Because his inward man was still separated from God. Amen. But immediately when he recognized what he did, when the prophet Nathan came in and said, you know, you're the man. He told him the story about the sheep, about the man that had all the sheep, the man that had one sheep, and the the man with all the sheep took the one sheep. And David said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll banish him from the kingdom. And he said, that's you, buddy. And that guilt came upon him. He did something that you could not do. He did something illegal. He ran into the altar. He ran into the Holy of Holies and fell on the horns of the altar and found grace in the sight of God. And that grace which David found by accident is the grace that we enjoy on purpose in this day and hour. Amen? So they're, they're, getting, they're getting forgiven, they're getting forgiven, they're getting forgiven. And then sometimes Israel gets so far. Lee and I, we just went through the Message Bible studying all these kings and some of them were just wicked. I guess culminating with, with who would be uh, Ahab and uh, uh, Jezebel. Well, they were a fun couple. Man, they were chasing off the prophets and killing their own children and burning them, burn them all. I mean, they were just horrible. They're doing terrible things. But then there were other kings that tried to bring it back. But they still had access. Everybody say access. 
They had access. The only people on the whole planet, this whole planet right now has access to God through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Under that covenant, there was only one little place on the planet where anybody had any access to God. Now the law that was given was not rules and regulations for them to live by because they never could do it. The law that was given was given to expose the sin nature. Because without the sin nature being exposed, man has no desire for salvation unless he sees himself as a sinner. Amen? All of the thou shalt nots, all of the law of Moses, all of those laws, when they begin to study them. One king, he was just a young boy, and he found the books, and he began to read it, and he began to weep, and he began to get the prophet, and he began to say, we haven't been doing this. No wonder our nation is destroyed. No wonder we have no food in Jerusalem. No wonder our armies have no might. It's because we've not done what the Word tells us to do. And under this covenant, the old covenant, that word was written on the parchment of the Torah, which was the law that was given. In our covenant, the word is written on the parchment of your heart. That means, now listen, I'm not going to get ahead of myself, but I'm just giving you little tidbits of things to come. That means what God writes in you, what He authors in you, is designed to change you into what that word says it is. Through redemption. You're not a poor old sinner saved by grace. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. Through redemption. You're not sick trying to get healed. You're the healed of God using the word of God to do what? To paint the picture or to scribe on the inside of your heart the reality of your healing and your health that already belongs to you. And when we die, we go to heaven. We do not go into Abraham's bosom. And when Jesus came and preached under captivity captive, that's literally what he did was preach the gospel to them. And what they had been waiting for. Hebrews chapter 11, amazing scripture. These all died in faith, having not yet received the promise. Well, it wasn't the promise of victory. David had victory. It wasn't the promise of healing. People got healed. It wasn't the promise of prosperity. My goodness, Solomon was the richest man that ever lived. What was the promise that they died in faith? having not yet received it when they died. That was the promise of what you have right now, which is salvation. That's why we need to recognize and realize when we're living and what we're living in. Dr. Lester Summerall said that years ago. I thought it was a great phrase. I kind of picked it up for myself. You must understand the day and the hour in which you live. Now, with that in mind, that's one scripture in Jeremiah. The, the, the culmination of this revelation. Because what did we say last week? Three quarters of all of the Pauline revelation is a direct quote out of the Old Covenant. You go study it and look. It is. Three quarters of it. Comes right out of the Old Covenant. The culmination of the revelation of the Old Covenant comes out of Isaiah, the last part of chapter 52 and the first part of chapter 53. Now let me read this to you. This is in the Old Covenant. Listen to this. Isaiah 52, beginning there in verse uh, 13. And I'm just going to read straight into 53. It says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled. He shall be very high. As many as were astonished at thee, his vestige was so marred more than any man, his form more than the sons of men. 
so shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which, is, for that which had not been told shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. What a scripture. Literally, this had not happened. This did not happen to Isaiah. This did not happen to, to, to Moses. This did not happen to Joshua. This did not happen to Solomon. He was foretelling an event that would take place in which Jesus Christ would literally die for the sins of the world. Amen? Now you say, now why, why are you trying to get, make that point with us this morning? Because everything that God has already done is settled. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. That means your salvation is settled. That means your healing is settled. That means your prosperity is settled. That means your righteousness is settled. Your joy is settled. Your destiny is settled in Christ Jesus. And God knew foretelling that which Christ would do. Now let me just say this. Much of what is in the Old Covenant, and even that, Matthew is, an, is a very interesting gospel to study in light of the Jewish people because actually Matthew is the gospel to the Jewish people. Many of the scriptures is preceded by the phrase, as it was written, as it was written, as it was foretold, as it was written, as it was written. Now, what God did is He wrote or He published the gospel in the Old Covenant, but it was hidden. It was hidden. I'll show you that when we get into the Pauline letters. It was hidden. They couldn't see it. They knew, they knew a Redeemer was coming. They knew a Messiah was coming. They knew that one was coming that would restore that which Israel had lost. They knew that. But they did not know to the dimension or to the scope in which it would be done that it would be all-inclusive to the whole world or for any person could make the choice to accept the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and be, quote, born again. Everybody say born again. Now, one more, one more scripture. Well, I got two. Let's do these two real quick and we'll close. Go to, go to, go to Psalms 22. Now, I'll just throw this out to you. Psalms 22 a picture of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalms 23, everybody say Psalms 23, a picture of this dispensation. The Lord is our shepherd, our shall, we shall not want. Psalms 24, a picture, a prophetic picture 
of the millennial reign of Christ in which we will reign and rule with Him for a thousand years. But now notice this, notice this picture, this prophetic picture shown us in Psalms 22. Now listen how it stands out. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You ever heard that before? We know right where that comes from. Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest me not. And in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted in thee, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and am no man, a reproach of men, and despised of people. All they that see me... Uh, all they, all, all they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They spit at me. They shake their heads saying, He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighteth in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was up on my mother's breast. I was cast up on thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. That word bulls, you study back, that's called demonic forces. Have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset round. They gape on me with their mouths as raving and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax and is melted. My strength drieth up like a potter's. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast, besought, thou hast brought me unto the dust of death. Now, this isn't talking about David. This isn't talking about some, you know, uh, uh, person. In, this is the picture, the very prophetic photograph of Jesus hanging on the cross. Taking our sin. Taking our sickness, taking our disease. Now that, that, that poses the question. And I'll close with this. All right, Pastor Rusty, I come to this church and, you know, I just kind of taking everything by faith. Trusting that you may know what you're talking about. Because I grew up in this other denomination. I grew up in this other church. I grew up in this other way of believing. The two doctrines that we talked about that came out of Germany 400 years ago, both of the doctrines deny unequivocally and count as heresy totally anything that would relegate Jesus dying a spiritual death. Spiritual death. What is spiritual death? Separation from God. They lean heavily on the scripture in which the thief said unto Jesus, one rejected him, the other thief said, you know, why are you rejecting him? We, we for, our, for our acts of unrighteousness and our deeds of sin, are suffering this today. But this is a just man. And he said, you know, when you come into the kingdom, remember me. And, and, and literally, uh, Jesus said, unto, I say unto you this day, you shall be with me in paradise. So they take that one scripture, and they use that one scripture to prove that when Jesus gave up the ghost on the cross, he did not go to hell, he went into paradise. 
But if you study the true Greek language in which that scripture was written, Jesus did not say, I say unto you this day, you shall be with me in paradise. He said it like this. I say unto you, to, I say unto you today, you shall be with me in paradise. Because when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was forsaken by God. And if he did not take your spiritual death, and if he did not suffer your punishment, then you are still spiritually dead, and you will have to suffer the punishment of it. And I'll show you in Scripture in the next few weeks as we get into the Pauline revelations and according to Genesis chapter 22 that when Jesus gave up, on the ghost on the, gave up the ghost on the cross, He died and He went into the place of eternal separation of, from God for three days and three nights with your punishment. Now if you go over here to the group of people that believe in the eternal salvation, eternal, you know, say, well, don't, don't you believe in eternal salvation? As far as I'm concerned, I do. I'm not trying to get out of it. So for me, I, it's eternal, amen? Or for the other work side of it, they'll scream and say, heresy, heresy. How can any man say that, that, that Jesus, the pure Son of God, can ever, ever... Listen, He did not commit adultery. He did not rob a bank. Everything that He took was spiritual. He took our spiritual nature. He took the spiritual motivation for our sin. He covered every one of our trespasses and He took our spiritual death. And that is the one thing that every saint under that old covenant believed God for and died not having received it, trusting that one day Jesus would redeem them. Amen? Now, when I get back, not next week, but the next week, we're going to start with the incarnation. Everybody say incarnation. Last scripture, real quick. I'm just five minutes over. Go, to, go back to Isaiah. Let me find it here. I pulled my marker already because I thought I was through. Go to Isaiah chapter 6. I tell you, we serve a supernatural God. I said we serve a supernatural God and nothing is impossible with Him. Now notice this, precious scripture. Look what it says in verse 14 of Isaiah, oh excuse me, chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Everybody say a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Oh, I should have got a better amen than that. Amen. Behold, a virgin, virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son and shall call his name. How many know what Emmanuel means? God with us. Now, this is something that is one of the most amazing realities. That everything God would do through redemption was telegraphed through that old covenant. Now you say, well, you keep making that point. You keep talking about it. Why is that? Because when I get you into the letters to the church, you have to have as much confidence in taking what has happened and laying against the backdrop of God saying it was going to happen and it happened. Yes, 
to what God says, this is now yours and it's yours. Now, let me try that one more time. I, I think about half you got it. We've gone through several scriptures. What we read happened. Before it happened, sometimes thousands of years before it happened. God said, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. He's going to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I'm going to take out the stony heart. I'm going to put in a heart of flesh. I'm going to take and write my laws on your heart. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. A virgin is going to conceive. A virgin is going to conceive and she's going to bear a son and she's going to call his name Jesus. Now, we take what has happened against the backdrop of what is foretold and it fits perfect. Woo, glory to God. That's why Jesus could say, I am the way and I am the truth. You say, why? Because the truth is what is said and what is done. There being no gray lines in between the two. He didn't come to speak the truth. He is the truth. So when Jesus says to you, I've given you all things that pertain unto life and godliness so that you might be partakers of the divine nature through the precious promises of God, then you need to put that up against the backdrop of what God has done throughout the Word and see where it is what God has said and what God has done and that, ex and that establishes truth in your heart. And based on that truth, you walk in faith. And by that faith, you're saved. By that faith, you're healed. By that faith, you prosper. And we can actually say this. God's not going to do anything for you. He's not going to do one thing for you. He has already done it. He has already done it. Your healing, your prosperity, your, your, your destiny in life, it is yours in Jesus' name. Amen? Hallelujah. Lift your hands and worship God. Lord, we thank you. Oh, how we worship you, Father. The great redemptive plan. Thousands of years for you to put it together. And we live in the benefit of it today. We thank you for it, Father. We worship you, Lord God. We glorify your name. We glorify your name, Lord God. Thank you for all your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your kindness. Thank you for the great plan of redemption being culminated in our lives in the last days here at Island Church. Thank you for your protection and safety, your blessing being upon us. Thank you no evil befalls us, no plague comes near our dwelling place. Angels have charge over us. That we as your people walk on serpents and scorpions over all power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means harm us. Thank you, Father, as we travel on the highways, the airways, the seaways, the railways, or any other way of travel or transportation we're protected. Thank you, Father, as we, as we work in the chosen profession, as we handle the righteous resource that you've given us. We're not subject to terror or trauma the evil plans of wicked men or Satan himself. We stand against accidents. We stand against whatever it may be that the enemy tries to raise up. And Father, here in this season, the Christmas season, we thank you, Father, that there's no depression in this house. We thank you that there's no uh, loneliness in this house. We thank you that, that the, even the activities of the church will be a blessing and cause men and women to have fellowship one with another and for all of that loneliness and isolation to be broken in Jesus' name. Fathers, we leave today 
Thank you for the door of utterance that we have. Let us be an answer to the prayers of people that are crying out today for answers. Let's be a problem to the adversary who torments and harms so many in our area and region. Let us be a miracle in the lives of people as we proclaim and demonstrate the gospel outside the four walls of Island Church. Lord, as we leave today, we walk in faith and love towards you. We walk in love toward one another. Thank you for our church. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be. Thanking you, you Lord, here at Island Church, we're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, anointed by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com.